Pray with me. Oren conmigo. Lord, uh, we just ask you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit today. We, we need you, Lord. Señor, te pedimos hoy por tu Espíritu Santo. Te necesitamos, Señor. Would you give us understanding today as we look at a, a huge piece of text and a, and a difficult text, Lord? Te, te pedimos que nos des entendimiento mientras uh, repasamos este pedazo de texto que es largo y un poco difícil. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate these scriptures, that we would, we would see your great plan of, of salvation, your great love, your grace and mercy. Señor, te pido que tu Espíritu ilumine estas páginas para nosotros, que veamos tu gran amor, tu salvación, tu misericordia aquí. I, I pray, Lord, above all, Lord, that we would see that you're a God who's faithful to his promises. Y te pido más que todo, Señor, que podamos ver que tú eres un Dios quien es fiel a tus promesas. You're truly a God whom we can say, I surrender all to. De veras eres un Dios a quien podemos decir, yo me rindo en total. In Christ's name we pray. En el nombre de Cristo, oramos. Amen. Amen. Can I have a seat? Pueden tomar asiento. Hey guys, welcome to Redemption West Mesa. My name is Chris Amaro. I'm one of the pastors here. Bienvenidos todos a Redemption West Mesa. Mi nombre es Chris Amaro. Soy uno de los pastores aquí. And Redemption Church is actually one church with seven congregations. Y la Iglesia Redención es una iglesia que tenemos uh, siete congregaciones. So there's six other congregations out there worshiping right now at the same time as us. Hay seis congregaciones uh, que están alabando a la misma vez que nosotros en otras partes. And the reason Redemption Church, the reason our, our model is this multi-congregational model is Redemption Church exists for the strengthening and the birthing of healthy local congregations. La razón que hay uh, seis otras iglesias además que nosotros es que la iglesia Redención existe para crear y fortalecer congregaciones sanas en, en varias, uh, varios lugares. Redemption Church Wide believes in new churches and new places for new people. La iglesia, como iglesia, creemos en que hay que crear nuevas iglesias en nuevos lugares para nueva gente. All right, so Redemption Church, organizationally, structurally, is actually one church but we, we highly value the local congregation. So, so we're one organizationally, but then each congregation almost functions like its own church. Entonces, la Iglesia Redención, tenemos una sola organización sobre todos, uh, pero también tenemos el valor de que, que cada congregación en cada lugar va a ser un poco diferente. Entonces, aunque hay una uh, organización grande, cada congregación en cada lugar um, funciona un poco diferente. And we do that because we're stronger together. We're able to uh, plant new churches to start new ministries. Y lo hacemos así porque juntos podemos ser más fuertes que, que por separados. And so today I have an exciting announcement that Redemption Church is launching a, a church plant in Tucson. Y oh, entonces hoy yeah. tenemos un anuncio emocionante que... La Iglesia Redención, estamos empezando una nueva congregación en la ciudad de Tucson. That'll be our eighth congregation. Va a, su, va a ser la congregación número ocho. So David Goffney and his wife Kyra, they met in Arizona, they actually met at U of A, got married and moved to California for ten years. Entonces David o, o Dave, 
David, 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 <laughs> David, 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 to Arizona. Ellos estaban haciendo ministerio en uh, las universidades en California, pero yo, Dios les llamó que regresaran aquí a Arizona. And he wanted us to emphasize that they love Tucson. Y él quería que hiciéramos énfasis que a ellos les encanta la ciudad de Tucson. I don't know what they love about it, but they love it. <laughs> no sé, no sé por qué lo aman tanto, pero eso dicen. So they have a core team down there. They're doing ministry. They're working towards launching their Sunday, uh, their Sunday service. Ellos ya tienen un equipo de personas allá que les está ayudando con el ministerio y pronto van a estar lanzando sus uh, reuniones de domingos. So a cool thing is that we'll now have a redemption congregation at all near all the four major universities in Arizona. La cosa bonita es que ahora vamos a tener una iglesia redención cerca de cada uno de las universidades grandes del estado. Right, ASU, U of A, uh, Grand Canyon University, and NAU. Did I forget? Oh, look at that. She's watching my back. <laughs> so all um, four. Sí, esos cuatro universidades. All right. <laughs> and they always forget to mention West Mesa. We're near MCC. Y so nosotros, <laughs> como West Mesa, estamos cerca de, de MCC, entonces también uh, es válido. But there's going to be some cool ministry opportunities, and I just want to pray for them today. Va, van a tener muchas oportunidades muy bonitas para hacer ministerio, entonces quería orar por esta iglesia nueva y por los, sus pastores. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray for Dave and, and Kyra, Lord, as, as they're down in Tucson, they're doing ministry, Lord. Above all, I pray that they're led by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Señor, te pedimos uh, por David y Kyra que mientras están ahí en Tucson haciendo esta congregación nueva, te pido que tu Espíritu esté con ellos. I pray that you would lead them, guide them, empower them, Lord. Te pido que tú los guíes, los, um, eh, uh, los, les des tu poder. I pray for David and uh, Lord just to preach the gospel, Lord. I pray for lives to be changed. I pray for other leaders and, and people to come around and, and just pray that Tucson would be uh, blessed to have them there. Te pido por David y que él uh, sea buen ministro de tu evangelio, te pido por todas las oportunidades que hay allá y que la ciudad de Tucson sea bendecido por ellos. So we lift them up, Lord, we put them in your hands. Los levantamos, Señor, y los ponemos en tus manos. In Christ's name we pray. En el nombre de Cristo oramos. Amen. Amen. All right, so today, as you saw through the reading, we're moving through a heavy, large chunk of scripture. Entonces, hoy, como vieron, o como escucharon en la lectura, nos toca repasar un pedazo muy grande y, y un poco pesado de la escritura. So get ready, we're going to go verse by verse and understand every noun, verb, I'm just kidding. We're going to look at it as four major chunks. Prepárense, vamos a ir palabra por palabra, cada versículo, entender todos los, los sustantivos y los verbos. No, no es cierto. Um, lo vamos a ver en, en cuatro porciones. Our goal is to get the big picture of what Paul is trying to communicate here, not every single point. La meta es entender el, los puntos claves de lo que está comunicando aquí Pablo, no necesariamente cada, uh, cada cosita. But the issue Paul has been addressing through uh, Romans 9 and 10, and now he's concluding through chapter 11, is the problem of Israel. El asunto que está tratando Pablo aquí y que 
Es el mismo asunto que ha tratado en capítulos uh, 9, 10. Uh, es el problema del pueblo de Israel. Because the Jews, God's Old Testament covenant people, have now rejected Christ. Porque los judíos, el, que, quien eran, quienes eran el pueblo escogido de Dios, ahora han rechazado a Cristo. So the, the, the question Paul's been answering is, have God's promises failed? Entonces la pregunta que Pablo está uh, tratando aquí es que si las uh, promesas de Dios acaso han fallado. Psalm 94.14 says, For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Salmo 94, versículo 14. Uh, dice, El Señor no rechazará a su pueblo, no dejará a su herencia en el abandono. Right, God had promised them, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Dios les había prometido, yo voy a ser tu Dios. Ustedes van a ser mi pueblo. So now in Paul's day, it looks like God's promises have failed because there's so many Jews rejecting Christ. There's so many Jews unbelieving. Pero ahora en el día de Pablo, parece que las promesas de Dios sí habían fallado porque hay tantos judíos que estaban rechazando a Cristo, que ya no estaban creyendo ya en las promesas de Dios. So that's what Paul's arguing. No, God's promises have not failed. Entonces el argumento de Pablo aquí que es lo que está diciendo que no, las promesas de Dios no han fallado. And this is important for us today because if God turned his back on Israel, if his promises failed to them, how can we be sure that he won't turn his back on us? Y esto es importante para nosotros, porque si acaso Dios le falló al pueblo de Israel, si no cumplió sus promesas con ellos, ¿cómo podemos ser, estar ciertos que Dios va a cumplir sus promesas con nosotros? Right. How can we be sure he won't keep his promises? How can we be sure he won't look at the church and say, man, they're too jacked up. I can't deal with these people anymore. ¿Cómo podemos estar seguros que Dios no va a mirar a la, nuestra iglesia y decir, Ah, pues a ellos ya no los quiero. Son, están uh, muy malos. Right. These guys are hopeless. Just forget about them. I'm going to get a new people. No hay esperanza para ellos. Voy a encontrar un nuevo pueblo. So today what we're going to see, and the, the big idea is here is how faithful God is to his promises. Pero hoy lo que vamos a ver que es que Dios es muy fiel con sus promesas. We're going to see God's been, God is trustworthy and he's shown that from beginning all the way to the end. Vamos a ver que Dios sí es confiable y ha mostrado esto desde el principio hasta hoy. So God, Paul is highlighting God's plan of salvation for the Jews and in, in, in the church. Pablo está aquí mostrando cuál es el plan de salvación de Dios para los judíos y para la iglesia. So, there's two views on God's future plan for Israel and the Jews. Hay dos puntos de vista uh, tratando con el plan de, de salvación para Israel y para los judíos. So, the, the first one is called the covenant view, and the covenant view believes basically that the church has replaced Israel. Está primero el punto de vista del de pacto y este punto de vista dice que uh, la iglesia ha reemplazado al pueblo de Israel. Right, that the church is now the spiritual Israel and all the promises have now carried on to the church. Que la iglesia ahora es el Israel espiritual y todas las promesas de Dios 
uh, se transfirieron del pueblo de Israel a la iglesia. And this is kind of this is where I kind of landed before I really studied Romans chapter 11. Y esta opinión es lo que yo creía antes de, de haber estudiado en profundidad Romanos capítulo 11. And, and what the Romans chapter 11 view, here's Paul's view, is that God has rejected or cut off Israel for a time, but there will be a future time where God will bring them back in and, and restore them to his favor. Pero el punto de vista de Romanos y, y lo que yo creo que está diciendo es que Dios ha uh, rechazado por un tiempo al pueblo de Israel, pero todavía sus promesas son válidas. Right, and that the two groups will become one. The, the Jews will come in to the church. Y que los dos grupos en el futuro se van a unir y que los judíos se van a unir con la iglesia. And so when we speak of Israel or we say the Jews, we're not speaking of the country or, or the nation like a political nation. We're talking about people. God's going to save a people. Y cuando hablamos de los judíos o de Israel, no estamos hablando de la nación, del país en sí, de Israel, um, uh, la entidad política, sino estamos hablando del de pueblo, de la gente de Israel, a quien Dios va a salvar. All right, so the first section we're looking at is verses 1 through 10. La primera parte que vamos a ver son versículos 1 a 10. Paul is arguing that God has not rejected the Jews. Pablo está haciendo el argumento que Dios no ha rechazado a los judíos. You'll see four arguments that Paul gives in this section. Van a ver cuatro argumentos que Pablo está dando aquí en esta primera parte. The first one is found in the second part of, of verse 1 where Paul says, no, God hasn't rejected Israel. I'm a Jew. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin and, and God saved me. La primera viene en la última parte del versículo 1, donde dice Pablo, yo mismo soy israelita, o sea que Dios no puede haber rechazado a todo Israel porque mírame a mí y yo, yo estoy siguiendo a Dios. The second argument he makes is in verse 2. God hasn't rejected his people, he foreknew. El segundo argumento viene en la primera parte del versículo 2 que dice que Dios no ha rechazado su pueblo porque él conoció de antemano lo que iba a pasar. And so Paul's referring back to what he's taught already in Romans chapter 8. Pablo está refiriendo a lo que ya había enseñado en Romanos capítulo 8. So here's what 8:29 and 30 say. Eso es lo que dice capítulo 8, versículos 29 y 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And then skip to verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Dice en uh, 29, Porque a los que con Dios conoció de antemano, también los predestinó. Y en 30, A los que predestinó, también los llamó. A los que llamó, también los justificó. Y a los que justificó, también los glorificó. And so this word foreknew, means those whom he knew before. Entonces esta palabra de, de uh, esto de conocer antemano significa que él pues los conocía desde hace mucho tiempo que esto iba a pasar. And what that means to know someone, what God is communicating is that he set his love on a certain people before. He had an intimate relationship with them before. Entonces uh, esto de conocer Um, quiere decir que Dios desde hace mucho tiempo, desde antes, 
había puesto su amor en ese pueblo. So he's saying, God hasn't rejected Israel because there's a group of Israel, a group of people who've God set his love on before the foundations of the world. And one day, he's going to, and he predestined them before the foundations of the world, right? He set their, their final destination. And one day, he's going to call them. And he's going to justify them. And in the end, they will be glorified. Y lo que está diciendo es que no, Dios no ha rechazado a Israel porque él desde hace mucho ya había escogido un pueblo a quien él iba a amar, a quien él iba a dar su gracia. Entonces, en el futuro todavía están apartados estas personas para Dios, quien él les va a dar salvación. Right. So the easy way to think about it is he's got a group of people that he's already set aside that he's going to save. Entonces la manera de pensarlo más fácil es que Dios ya tiene apartado para él mismo un grupo de personas quien él va a salvar. The third argument is found in the second part of verse 2 and he, he uses the, the illustration of Elijah. El tercer argumento lo encontramos en la segunda parte del versículo 2. Y habla acerca de Elías. So Elijah was a prophet, and in Elijah's day, all of Israel had bowed to the, to the false god Baal, and it seemed like it was hopeless, like everyone was lost, and Elijah's like asking, you know, have God's promises failed? El, Elías era un profeta, y en los días de Elías, todo el pueblo de Israel se había um, dedicado a a los ídolos y los dioses de otro país. Y Elías eh, pensaba que no había esperanza, veía que todos estaban rechazando a Dios. Y él le eh, rogó a Dios, le preguntó, ¿acaso tus promesas han fallado? But in that time, God preserved a remnant. He preserved 7,000 men who would not bow their knee to Baal. Pero en ese entonces Dios preservó un remanente guardó siete mil hombres que no habían uh, no se habían inclinado ante Baal. And so Paul saying, just like in in Elijah's day, today there is a remnant. Y Dios, uh, Pablo está diciendo igual que en el día de en los días de Elías, ahora mismo hay un remanente. And so this just this just illustrates the fact that we don't always know what God is doing. Esto sirve como ilustración del de, de hecho de que nunca sabemos todo lo que Dios está haciendo. There's many times in our life where everything feels like it's crumbling down. Relationships, job, I mean, there's trials, there's persecution. And it looks hopeless. It looks like God's abandoned us. Puede ser que hay, hay muchos tiempos en nuestra vida donde todo se ve que, que va mal. Donde hay persecuciones o dificultades a relaciones quebrantadas y parece que Dios nos ha abandonado. And so what we can see from this, this text is that God's still at work even when we don't know what he's doing. Pero lo que vemos de este texto es que Dios todavía está trabajando aun cuando nosotros no podemos entender lo que está haciendo. And if God is your God, you're, you're never hopeless. Y si Dios es tu Dios, nunca vas a estar sin esperanza. All right. The fourth argument he says is in verse... Uh, Five, that he says today, there is a remnant chosen by grace. El uh, último argumento está en versículo 5 que dice, 
que hoy hay un remanente escogido por gracia. And in verse 6 he says, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. Y en versículo 6 dice que si es por gracia, ya no es por obras, porque en tal caso la gracia ya no sería gracia. So he's saying, all this work that God's doing, all this preservation of a remnant, him foreknowing people, him choosing people by grace, is, is his work. Entonces está diciendo que todo este trabajo, el, el escoger, el preservar un pueblo, es el trabajo solo de Dios. It's all about grace, his unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. Solo se trata de la gracia, porque es una obra inmerecida, um, que, que no se puede ganar. Right, his work is not on the basis of works, it's, a, it's on, on, on God's work. La, la, la salvación no se trata de las obras de, de los humanos, sino que las obras de Dios. What you'll notice here is Paul's emphasis is grace versus works, which in the past couple chapters he's been talking about faith a lot. Y si se dan cuenta, aquí Pablo está haciendo el contraste entre gracia y obras, que es un poco diferente a los últimos capítulos donde ha estado hablando de gracia y fe. And I think he's trying to make this strong emphasis that it's about not about works, it's not what you do. He's taking us out of the picture. He's not even talking about faith. And he says, it's about grace, it's what God does. Y creo que está haciendo aquí un, un um, contraste muy fuerte porque quiere que entendamos esto de que no se trata nada de las obras. Dice, se trata del, de la gracia de Dios, no de lo que nosotros hacemos, de lo que hace Dios solamente. Right, all glory to God. He's preserving a remnant. He's got a chosen people. He's saving people by grace. Toda la gloria es para Dios. Él tiene un, un remanente escogido y Él los va a salvar por su gracia. And then verse 7 through 10, he basically says, the rest are hardened. Y versículos 7 a 10, él dice, los demás son endurecidos. Right, so God has a remnant who he chooses by grace, and the rest are hardened. They're judged, they're turned over. God lets them go their own way. Dios tiene un remanente que él salva por su gracia, y los demás, él uh, los deja que sean endurecidos. Uh, los, los deja que lo rechacen y los deja que vayan por su propio uh, camino. Right, so thank God that he saves anyone because everyone was going that way and God says, I'm going to save some, I won't, just like in Elijah's day when I preserve 7,000, I'm preserving some people. Pero gracias a Dios que él salva a algunos porque todos merecemos uh, ir y que Dios nos abandone, pero Dios dice, en nuestro día, tal como el día de Elías, yo voy a guardar un remanente, unos cuantos para mí. All right, the second section, we're going to see God's plan of salvation for the Jews and the Gentiles. It's verses 11 through 16. En la segunda sección de hoy, vamos a ver el plan de salvación para los judíos y los gentiles en versículos 11 a 17. So verse 11, 11, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Dice versículo 11. Ahora pregunto, ¿acaso tropezaron para no volver a levantarse? De ninguna manera. Más bien, gracias a su transgresión, 
ha venido la salvación a los gentiles para que Israel sienta celos. Paul's revealing something amazing that God is doing. Because of Israel's rejection of Christ, it opens up the doors for the Gentiles to receive grace and, and, you know, and come into the church. Pablo está mostrando una obra grande que está haciendo Dios aquí, que a través del de rechazo de Israel, uh, de Jesús, eso permite que los gentiles vengan y, y sean parte del pueblo de Dios. And so, if, just for your information, if you don't know what a Gentile is, Gentile is everyone else, everyone that's not a Jew. Y para su información, si no conocen qué es un gentil, eso significa a todos los que no son judíos. So God uses Israel's rebellion to bring in the Gentiles, the rest of the world, into his people. Dios usa la rebelión de los israelitas para uh, meter a todo su pueblo, um, a todos los gentiles, a su pueblo. And then what God's going to do is he's telling us is God's going to use the Gentiles to save and bring back the Jews into his people. Y luego dice Dios que lo que va a hacer después es usar a esos gentiles para traer otra vez a su pueblo a los judíos. And he says that he's going to do it through making the Jews jealous. Y dice que lo va a lograr a través de hacer celosos a los judíos. He says it three times. He says in verse 10, 19, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. Lo dice tres veces, de hecho, en capítulo 10, versículo 19. Dice, yo haré que ustedes sientan envidia de los que no son nación. In 11, 11, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. En 11, uh, versículo 11, también otra vez dice que la gracia... Uh, ha venido la salvación de los gentiles para que el Israel sienta celos. Verses 13 through 14, he says, I magnify my ministry in order to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Y versículos 13 y 14, uh, dice que hago honrar, o no, hago honor a mi ministerio, pues quisiera ver si algún, de algún modo despierto los celos de mi propio pueblo para, sal, para así salvar algunos de ellos. Now this might sound like a strange strategy to us. A nosotros esto se puede uh, escuchar como una estrategia muy extraña. In my immaturity I pictured, nana nana boo boo Jews, you're not saved. That's not what he's doing here. Right? Cuando con, de, de no ser maduro yo me imaginaba um, alguien burlándose de los judíos diciendo, jaja, ja, ustedes no están salvados. Right, it's not a, it's not a mock them or it, 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 it comes from a love. And so I, I want to show you guys a video. There's a pastor, Neil Pitchell, who's a pastor at uh, Redemption Gilbert, and he's going to tell us what this is and share his testimony. And the cool thing is he's Jewish, so he, he's lived this. Pero esto no es, uh, no se trata de, de celos por una burla, pero se trata de celos porque el amor de Dios se está siendo mostrado. Entonces, los, los vamos a mostrar un video del pastor de Redemption Gilbert, um, uh, uno de los pastores de Redemption Gilbert, Neil Pitchell, quien es judío él mismo y él va a hablar de su testimonio y cómo funciona esto. Enjoy. Paul tells us that the reason that the Gentiles were to make the Jews jealous is maybe, just maybe, if they're jealous of what the Gentiles have, that they would turn back to God 
and receive the grace that he offers independent of the law. That means that we as Christians should be such light. We should have such life, such joy, such love for God and for others that whenever we come in contact with a Jew, they'd say, how come we don't have what they have? How come they have joy in their hearts and love despite their circumstances? We have to admit the church has a pretty shameful history in making the Jews jealous. But that was Paul's intent. That was Paul telling us that God's intention was for the Gentiles to be such light that when Jews come in contact with them, they would be jealous of what they had. That's what happened to me. I was a Jewish kid growing up north of Boston, forced to go to Hebrew school from fourth grade through seventh grade, five days a week, then bar mitzvah lessons, then I was bar mitzvahed at the age of 13. The day after my bar mitzvah, I vowed to never set foot in a temple again. I felt, I felt so burdened by the law, by the rules and the regulations and, and the commandments and the, and the festivals and everything that was required of me. I said, no, thank you. I don't want it. Leave me out. And I stayed out of it for years until I was a freshman at college at the University of Massachusetts. I was sitting in my dorm room one night and uh, these two guys walked into my room never seen them before, and they were big guys, so I obviously paid attention to them. And they asked me if I believed in God. I said, mm, yeah, uh, I do. They said, do you believe you could have a personal relationship with God? And I said, no, that's not possible. All those rules, all those regulations. In fact, I can't even be in the presence of God without my head covered. I have to wear a yarmulke because God's so holy and I'm so messed up. We can't have a relationship. In fact, I can't even write the word God. I have to write G space D. You can't have a personal relationship with God. I said, we'd like to tell you how you can. And I didn't feel like studying anymore, so I said, okay. Well, right at that moment, my roommate walked in. Uh, from He was from Connecticut, great guy. Uh, probably considered himself a nominal Christian. He didn't feel like studying either, so uh, he sat down and listened. And the guys pulled out this little orange pamphlet, and they started going through this thing called the Four Spiritual Laws. Went right over my head. I didn't get a thing that they were saying. Didn't make any sense to me. My roommate did. My roommate got saved that night. I didn't know what was happening. It scared me. Um, so I did the only thing that made sense. I moved out. <laughs> I moved in with... Uh, Another friend, uh, halfway through the semester that I was living with him, he got saved. Same guys. So I did the only thing that really made sense. I moved into a fraternity. Uh, and I knew I'd be, be safe there. And, and in fact, I was pretty much. But, but here's what happened. These guys, these two guys that walked into my room, my two ex-roommates and, and their friends, were the kindest most forgiving, most joyful people I'd ever met in my life. I was unreliable. They'd invite me to come to something. I'd say, sure, I'll be there. I wouldn't show. They forgave me. 
They invited me again. They, they were so different. They, they were so full of life and joy that eventually I said, okay, let me see this New Testament of yours. And I said, okay, start with the, with the book of John. So I, I did, and that created a, a problem for me because it was really good. Um, and these guys continued to be involved in my life. Um, I continued to read the New Testament, but I was so troubled, so, so overwhelmed by my family that, that didn't believe that all of the Jews throughout history, how, how can this be true? So I got to a place, because I was so impressed with those guys and I was so impressed with what, what was said here, I got to a place that um, I believed I was going to have a big four. See, Jews have a big three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I decided I'll have a big four, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus. I'll have it both ways. This will be fine. Well, all that did was lead to further frustration. There was, there was something nagging inside of me that, that this wasn't right. This went on for years. Graduated from college, and someone gave me the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And in the book, Lewis says, I want to talk to those of you who believe that Jesus is a great prophet, a great man. I thought, ooh, that's me. And he said, I think you have a problem. You have a problem because Jesus said he is God. And I knew that because I read that. And he said, if anyone says they're God, you only have three choices. He is a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, who he says he is. <clears throat> now, I had seen the difference that God had made in the lives of these men. They were like nothing I had ever seen before. There was no way that these men who had committed their lives to Jesus committed their lives to a lunatic or to a liar. And I didn't understand it completely. I didn't know why Jews throughout history didn't believe. But because of the grace of God and because of the lives of these men, I prayed that God would open my eyes to see the truth of who he is. And because of God's grace and because of those men, I'm standing right here in front of you, a Jewish kid from Peabody, Massachusetts, preaching the gospel. No, God hasn't given up on the Jews. And, and uh, I know we'll probably say, hey, I don't know any Jews. And all that. Nils the only one I know. <laughs> right? Yo creo que um, la mayoría de nosotros diríamos, pues yo no conozco a ningún judío. Y, y para mí es lo mismo. Neil es el único que yo conozco. But that call to live our life in that way is, you know, we're to, we're to live that in, everywhere. We're to be a light to the nations. Pero ese llamado a vivir nuestra vida de esa manera es, es para todos, de, de todas maneras. Debemos ser una luz a las naciones. You know, and the point is that God will save people as they see your lives demonstrating the gospel and His grace. Y el punto es que Dios va a salvar a más gente mientras uh, la gente te vea a ti mostrando la gracia de Dios. And ultimately, isn't that so cool how God's going to bring the Jews back into his people is through people's love. He's going to use the church. Y, y um, por, en fin, es, es muy, uh, qué tan bello es que Dios va a usar a su pueblo, al amor de su pueblo, a traer personas a su iglesia. 
La tercera parte de nuestro pasaje, y voy a tratar de hacerlo rápido, es uh, versículos 17 a 24. And he gives us this illustration of the olive tree. And the olive tree was a familiar expression for God's people in the Old Testament. Y nos da aquí esta ilustración del de olivo, el árbol de, de olivo. Y el olivo era una metáfora para la, el pueblo de Dios. And the root is God's covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to the patriarchs. La raíz del olivo era, eran las promesas de, que Dios había hecho a los patriarcas. And so he gives us this picture of the Jews right now are cut off, right? The branch, the Jewish branch of this church, of the, this people is cut off so that the Gentiles can be grafted in. Y nos da la ilustración de cómo Dios ha cortado las ramas que son los judíos para poder meternos o injertar a nosotros, los, los gentiles, en la raíz. And grafting is the process, if you guys don't know, of taking a, a branch from another tree and putting it on uh, the desired tree. El, el injertar es el proceso de, de tomar una rama de un árbol y um, pegarle, pegarlo a otro árbol y empiezan a, a crecer juntos. Right, so he's saying the Gentiles have been brought in to the, to the people of God and are receiving the promises of God. Entonces dice que los gentiles han sido injertados en las promesas de Dios, en el pueblo de Dios. He's talking about us, his church. Está hablando de nosotros, de su iglesia. But he has a warning for us and it's to not grow prideful. Pero tiene también una advert advertencia para nosotros y es de no tener orgullo. Right, no racism, no anti-Semitism, no superiority towards the Jews. Dice que no debe haber racismo, no debe de haber antisemitismo, ningún odio contra los judíos. Right, verse 18, he says, don't be arrogant towards the branches, right, the Jews who were cut off. Versículo 18, dice que um, uh, no te jactes de, de esto. De que, de que tú fuiste uh, injertado en la raíz. Verse 20, do not become proud, but fear. Versículo 20, dice que um, uh, no seas arrogante, sino temeroso. Right, he's saying, hey church, Gentiles, you weren't saved because you were smarter, you were better, you were more holier or, or more deserving of God's grace. Dice, ¿saben qué, iglesia? ¿Saben qué, gentiles? Ustedes no fueron salvados porque eran, eran más santos o, o merecían más la gracia de Dios. Right, if you get proud, you don't get it. Si, si te vuelves orgulloso, tú no entiendes lo que está pasando. God saved you while you were still a sinner, not because you were so great. Dios te salvó mientras eras pecador. No, porque eras uh, tan bueno por ti mismo. So if you have grown proud, if you think you're better than anyone else, you should fear. Si, si, has, uh, si, uh, si empiezas a ser orgulloso, si, si empiezas a, a sentir mejor que los demás, deberías tener temor. Right, you should fear because you, if God will, can cut off the Jews, he can cut you off too. Deberías temer, porque si Dios puede uh, um, cortar las ramas de los judíos, también te puede cortar a ti. Right, because God's grace 
doesn't move us to pride. It moves us to humility and gratitude. Porque la gracia de Dios no nos lleva a el orgullo, sino que nos lleva a la gratitud. And if you're proud and you get cut off, it's not because God disowned you or didn't keep his promises. It's probably because you just never got it in the first place. Y si eres orgulloso, no significa que Dios no está guardando sus promesas. Uh, a lo mejor significa que uh, no entendiste su, lo que estaba pasando de, en la primera vez. When I, when I think about this concept, I think of a, 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 a swimmer. Let's say a guy's swimming at the beach, and he goes under, he gets a cramp, and the Baywatch lifeguard runs out there and saves him. And cuando pienso en este concepto, um, pienso en um, un hombre que va a nadar en la playa, y empieza, se le acaban las fuerzas, empieza a ahogarse y hundir, y va el salvavidas de Baywatch, uh, sale para, para rescatarlo. If I had more time, I'd give you the slow motion run. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> si tuviera más tiempo, le haría el, uh, el correr el de motion lenta. I, I got the Hasselhoff chest here, so. <laughs> Yo tengo los, uh, los, los bellos de... De pecho, igual que David Hasselhoff. But if someone's drowning, they're dragged to the beach, right? They get CPR. They don't pop up and brag and boast about how great a swimmer they are. Pero si alguien que se estaba ahogando um, lo rescatan y, y lo resucitan y está uh, en la playa después de haber salvado, él no va a empezar a ir a decir qué tan buen nadador es, ¿verdad? No, they're, they're humbled. They say, thank you, thank you for saving me. No, la respuesta apropiada es decir, gracias por salvarme. Right, and so that's, the, we shouldn't grow proud if we've been saved by God's grace. No debemos de ser orgullosos si fuimos salvados por la gracia de and Dios. He, and he ends this illustration with verse 24. He says, if God, let me read it over here. Y acaba esta ilustración uh, con versículo 24. Y dice, um, For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into, these, this, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more, this is key, will these, the natural branches, speaking of the Jews, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Dice, después de todo, si tú fuiste cortado de un olivo silvestre al que por naturaleza pertenecías, y contra tu condición natural fuiste injertado con un olivo cultivado, con cuánta mayor facilidad las ramas naturales de ese olivo serán injertadas de nuevo en él. Right, so if God can and has brought Gentiles into his people, he can and he will bring the Jews back into his people. Entonces Dios ha... Um, lo que ha hecho y, y ha podido hacer es traer a los gentiles a su pueblo, pero lo que va a hacer en el futuro es traer de nuevo a los judíos. And the last section is four, it's verses 25 through 32. Y la última parte de versículos 25 a 32. And the thing I want to address on here is he says in verse 26 that all Israel will be saved. Lo que quiero... Um, Entender de, hacer entender de aquí es en versículo 26 donde dice que todo Israel será salvo. I just want you to know that all Israel doesn't mean every Jew without exception. There's no universal salvation. Uh, quiero que entendamos que todo Israel no significa que cada 
cada uno de los judíos, sin excepción, va a ser salvado. Porque no hay salvación universal. universal. He, he's already said some are chosen, some are foreknown, some are cut off, so it can't mean all of them. Porque ya ha dicho, algunos han sido escogidos de antemano y algunos han sido cortados, entonces no puede significar que cada uno. But what it does mean is a great mass of Jewish people. Pero lo que sí uh, significa aquí es que es uh, una gran mayoría de la, del pueblo judío. So at some point in history, there's going to be this large-scale mass revival of Jews coming into, God, into the church of God. Entonces, en algún punto de la historia, um, podemos esperar que haya una, uh, una gran um, aceptanza del Señor por parte de los judíos. Right, where they see the God's people enjoying, uh, or loving people, enjoying God's love, enjoying God's grace. Donde ellos ven al pueblo de Dios, a la iglesia, disfrutando de la gracia de Dios, amando a sus prójimos. And God, by His grace, opens their eyes to see that Jesus is and was the promised Messiah that they're waiting for. Y Dios, por su gracia, abre los ojos de los judíos y los muestra, les muestra que Jesús sí es la promesa que ellos estaban esperando. I, I think it's going to be an amazing time. Uh, I, I picture synagogues being converted into churches, putting a cross up in the middle of that synagogue. Yo creo que va a ser un tiempo asombroso. Yo me imagino uh, sinagogas convirtiéndose en iglesias y uh, poniendo la cruz en, en donde está uh, en frente del sinago de la sinagoga. You know, having have big parties, Jews going to get, get to try some, uh, some pork after all. Va, va a haber fiestas <laughs> grandes y, y los judíos... Uh, les cocinamos una cochinita pibil. They might be grossed out by it still, but... <laughs> uh, tal vez no les guste, pero de todos modos. And he, and he says this in verse 12, and this is pretty cool, that if their trespass means riches for the world, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Y dice en versículo... Um, uh, ¿Cuál versículo? Verse 12, I paraphrased it. Oh, yeah, versículo 12, que su, si um, el... el um, el transgreso, el transgreso de los judíos uh, fue de beneficio, entonces cuanto más su, uh, su regreso uh, será de beneficio. And I want to end with this verse 29. He says, God hasn't rejected the Jews. God hasn't failed to keep his promises. Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Y la verdad es que Dios no ha rechazado a los judíos porque... En versículo 29, terminamos con esto. Dice que las dádivas de Dios son irrevocables. Right, when God says something, He does it. Cuando Dios dice algo, Él lo hace. God is faithful to His promises. Dios es fiel a sus, con sus promesas. God is trustworthy. Dios es confiable. Right, His plans can never be stopped or thwarted. Sus planes no se pueden parar, ni, ni uh, nadie se puede entrometer con sus planes. And because we know he hasn't turned his back on Israel and their promises that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Y como sabemos que uh, Dios no va a dar la espalda a su pueblo, también nosotros podemos tener la confianza que Él no nos va a dejar ni, ni a traicionar. Let me ask you this, do you struggle To trust? 
Entonces les pregunto esto, ¿ustedes, alguno de ustedes um, tiene uh, dificultad de confiar? Have you been let down? Have you been betrayed? Have you been hurt? ¿Han sido decepcionados algunos o traicionados o, o lastimados? You can trust God. You can put your hope in Jesus. Ustedes pueden confiar en Jesús. Pueden poner su confianza en Cristo. And just like we sang, we can surrender all to Jesus because he's trustworthy. He keeps his promises. Y justo como lo cantamos, Dios guarda sus promesas, entonces podemos confiar en él. So I urge you if, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, trust him today. Call on the name of the Lord. Si nunca han confiado en Jesús como su Salvador, clamen en su nombre y confíen en Él hoy. Let's pray. Vamos a orar. Lord, I just love this big picture of, of your plan of salvation from the beginning, before the foundations of the world were laid. Señor, me encanta este retrato de tu plan de salvación desde el principio, desde antes de la fundación del mundo. Thank you that you give us a glimpse, Lord, a, a look into your sovereign grace. Gracias que nos das una mirada a tu gracia soberana. Thank you that you show yourself to be trustworthy, Lord. Gracias que tú has mostrado que eres confiable. I pray that we would rest in your trustworthiness. Te pido que podamos uh, descansar en tu confiabilidad. In Christ's name we pray. En el nombre de Cristo oramos. Amen. Amen.